Thank you, Lord. Well, let, let's read out of, uh, not Isaiah, Luke chapter 19, right? And my heart is rejoicing today because it's Palm Sunday, but it rejoices today because, you know, I see um, the Lopez family here today. Yeah. Amen. Little Layla is here and her little brother Samuel. Right, and Linda and Ernesto, they're here today. We've been praying so much for Layla. Let me tell you, if it was your child that had gone through what little Layla has gone through, you'd be screaming right about now. You wouldn't be just like, oh, how nice. You'd be like, whoa, if that was my child, I want a congregation to pray for me like they pray for little Layla because we pray for her quite a bit. And God is faithful and true in all of his promises. Faithful and true. Well, I am going to read out of Luke chapter 19, I promise you. Let us start with verse 18. Just sit there and hear the word. Sit there, hear the word. Right? And then I just need to organize myself up here one minute. And we read in the name of the Father, the Son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Abby's asked me if I need it because she knows that I always print out my verses, but it never fails today. I happen to have one that is, I have to read it out of the Bible, so I have my Bible. I print them out so I don't have to see. Abby knows me. Let us read in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, starting in verse 18. Oh, ¿alguien necesita equipo de traducción? Porque si necesitan equipo... Se lo llevamos ahora mismo. Nadie. Dios me los bendiga. Okay? And we read, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a cult tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who went, no, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the cult, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they say, the Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answers, I, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near, and saw the city, he wept 
over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. All the things that happened because they did not know the time of his visitation. Right? Let us pray. Father, we are just thankful this morning for your presence. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for your sacrifice, O oh Lord, that you did on our behalf. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we never, ever forget the price that was paid for our salvation. So, Lord, we ask that this word come alive within us, that we not be just hearers of your word, but doers of it. We ask that your Holy Spirit give us the strength and the direction that we may be able to do that. In Jesus' holy name we pray, and God's people said, amen. Well, this is a wonderful book. You know, Luke is my favorite book of the gospel. I just enjoy Luke. And um, if you read the book of Luke, you're going to find that what we just read, right before Jesus starts that walk from the Mount of Olives down into the temple, a number of things happened. And one of them was the resurrection of Lazarus. And so right near the, the beginning of this chapter, um, we see that he's, you know, he's celebrating. They're in a celebration of a feast. And really, I think this was sort of like a feast celebrating the life of Lazarus, you know, because it talks about Lazarus. It talks about Martha, uh, again, serving. And it talks about Mary once again at the feet of Jesus. This is just a repetition of scripture. And so um, the Pharisees and, and the religious men of the day, they were so upset with Lazarus because he resurrected. And so they were even planning and plotting the death of Lazarus. And so all this is happening. There's miracles that have taken place right before this. And now we find Jesus on his way. And he is in Bethpage, which is, uh, was, no longer exists, but it was a small town that was right before you hit um, the Mount of Olives. So he, when, it, when the scripture tells us, it talks about Bethany. So he was at Bethany, and there he, he had his feast, and he spent time with, with Lazarus and his sisters. And then he comes down to Bethpage, and from there then he goes to Jerusalem. Now, uh, Pastor Jay and I, we had the opportunity to walk that path from the Mount of Olives down. And those of you that have, that have been to Israel have probably done it as well. You walk down that path from the Mount of Olives and you walk to the temple. And it did give us that sense of this is, this is you know, what Jesus did. We are walking in the path of where Jesus walked uh, to the temple for that last day of celebration, which was um, Palm Sunday, um, the Passover. And so um, it, it, when I see the scene, 
I always think about how everyone is, you know, he's coming into, into Jerusalem and there's people following him and his disciples and everybody's shouting and, you know, putting out the praises and every, everybody's so excited and they're being met by people that are on the way and people that are in Jerusalem and everybody is just having this wonderful celebration. And in the midst of all of this, there is Jesus weeping publicly. You know? It's my party and I'll cry if I want to, basically. And so he's weeping in the midst of everyone and nobody even stops to ask, um, Jesus, what, what's wrong? Why aren't you enjoying what we're doing and what we're saying? What? No, they just kept right on walking and they were in their celebration. They didn't even take the time to ask, God, what are you feeling with what we're doing? Don't, don't you feel that sometimes we may do that as well? That we are, you know, we're in our own little high and we don't stop to ask, God, are you, are you getting pleasure out of what we're doing? Are you enjoying, you know, what we're singing? Are you enjoying the praises we bring up to you? Are you enjoying everything that we do um, to bring forth the, the kingdom? Are you enjoying this? We don't ask and we don't look. And Jesus, the scripture tells us, was weeping. And he was weeping because he saw their future. He saw their future and he speaks the prophetic word. He saw that in, in 40 years, less than 40 years, in 70 AD, Titus would come in with legions of Roman soldiers, will surround the city of Jerusalem, put it under siege. 600,000 Jews would die. A hundred, hundreds uh, of them, thousands of them actually, would be taken into captivity. The temple would be destroyed, not only destroyed, but it would be taken down stone by stone. Okay. So Jesus prophesied this to them. He saw it. He, he was, as he's walking into Jerusalem, he's seeing what is coming. And he weeps for what is to come to the people. I, I think it's interesting that as you look at history, you find at the destruction of the temple, the Sanhedrin, which we know were those that were very instrumental in uh, the trials of Jesus, dissipated, disappeared, no longer existed after the temple was destroyed. And so he's seeing all of this and he's, he's weeping as he's going into the city. And the scripture tells us that um, he rode on a donkey, right? Now, that is not what would be expected of the king. Now, for the Jews, they totally understood this because uh, David, at one point in 1 Kings chapter uh, 1, verse 33, he instructs the prophet Nathan to get his donkey, his mule, and he was to anoint Solomon as king, and then he was to sit him on the mule of the king and parade him. So this was typically um, what the Jewish people identify with as prophets coming into town on a donkey with the word of the Lord and kings coming in and, and being acknowledged as that. So it had that meaning for the Jews. But if you typically, when you think of someone taking over uh, a town or city or location, They'll come in in the nicest horse that you can see, proclaiming that they're the victors, 
that they're the ones that have taken over, that they're the ones that are in charge. Um, now, uh, when we look at the culture of the Romans, which is very interesting, in the Roman culture, their emperors would come in, not on a horse, but on a donkey. So here we have two totally different cultures, the Romans and the Jews, and they're all looking at the scene before them, and they're seeing this man called Jesus on a donkey, and they're both saying, hmm, what does this mean? Hmm. And so the donkey is, or the, or the mule, or however your Bible says, um, was an animal that expressed peace. We're coming in peace. So when, when the Roman um, general was coming in, or emperor was coming in, he's saying, I'm done with the war. We're co I'm coming in peace. I'm bringing in peace with me. That, that's what it was basically about. The placing of garments on, on the animal or, for, or on the floor for the animal to walk over is an expression of respect. We honor our king so much that everything that we possess can go under his feet. Now, that's not anything new to us. If you've, if you've looked at any of, of um, English kings and queens, people always threw their coats down so that the, the queen wouldn't get her slippers all messed up with mud. A sign of respect. They throw their cloaks and they would walk over them. Anything that I have goes under the subjection and the authority of our reigning king or queen. See, so this is what they did with Jesus. They threw their cloaks, you know, they threw palms. Everybody was having a great time. It is an act of honor and a sign of kingship when they did this. In the book of Luke, in the book of John, it tells us, that Jesus came to Jerusalem for that last time during his public ministry, and he was greeted by such a large group of enthusiastic people. Everybody was excited, which was surprising because near those last days of Jesus' life, there was a growing opposition to him that was fueled by the Pharisees. So this growing opposition said, you know, we're not happy with what's going on with Jesus healing people and raising them from the dead. We're not happy with any of this. And so what made that little change was the resurrection of Lazarus. So everyone hearing it, all those pilgrims coming into Jerusalem, were bringing with them the stories, the experiences, the testimonies that they had seen and heard of what Jesus had done with healing sick people, resurrecting, um, speaking the word. He just spoke the word. He didn't even go there. He just said, your servant is healed, and he was healed. All these experiences fueled the people into thinking, this, he's the one. He is the one that is coming to liberate us from these Romans. We're sick of these Romans. We're sick of their rule, the oppression of the Romans. He's the one that's coming. He's going to be our king, and he's going to be that Messiah that we're waiting for that is actually going to vanquish these Romans. In um, Zechariah chapter 9, uh, verses 9 and 10, and these chapters are really important. Zechariah chapter 9, 10, and 11 are important chapters. I would recommend that this week that you take out time 
to read these portions of the gospel. Take our time to read Zechariah and be able to just this week take time to think about Jesus and this week. All right, so important. This week in his ministry, right? And so it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, this is a prophetic word spoken by Zechariah. The Jewish people knew this prophetic word. And they, oh, he's coming, our king is coming. But they would forget the second half of it, which said, listen, I'm going to cut off the chariot and I'm going to, and the war horse, which meant this is not going to happen through uh, military means. This is not going to happen through war. This is going to happen through peace. And it said, um, how, what, how did the rest of that verse go? And it said, he shall speak peace to the nations. And so that is not what the Jewish people wanted to hear. See, that, that's not what we want to hear. We know that's what you're saying, but that's not what we're hearing. We know this is what you're saying you're coming to do, but that's not what we're expecting. And so they, they knew the prophecy, but they were so geared into this prophecy means he's going to do away with these Romans. And yet he's coming exactly as the scripture said, on a donkey. And they were like, what? Okay, there's the donkey, but where is the military army? See, where? And at any moment, Jesus could have called heavenly armies to come and support him. Do you remember in Gethsemane when he was praying? And Peter, I don't know if he had bad aim or that was what he aimed to do, but he lopped off the ear of the soldier. Do you remember that part? And he tells him, well, you know, Peter... Don't do this. Let this happen. Do you not know that my father, if I called my father, he would send 12 legions of angels? So that was for that little incident. That, that wasn't even the full army. That was a few soldiers that came to get him. And he said, I could call 12 legions. Could you imagine what he can call for a whole city that is going in, not in his direction? And soldiers and an army and a prefect by the name of Pontius Pilate, who was a very um, wicked man. And he was also a very, um, had no problem uh, just killing people. Had no problem. He was just fierce in everything that he did. And so here Jesus says, listen, I can call my father and he can send angels to help me. Let, let's not do this. Nothing prepared them for how enthusiastic the people were and the crowd that came up. Nothing prepared them for that. And so we see the scene of the palm trees. The, it's, it's a bittersweet day where they're happy and there's, there's happy things going on and there's sad things going on. And it's a day that they're going to call him king for one day. King for a day. He was their king for that one day. 
when they were all happy and excited because they thought that Jesus was coming to do what they wanted him to do. As we see the scene, it's, it's reminiscent, it reminds us of his birth. Does it not? Where in his birth, he's, you know, greeted by this, there's a multitude of heavenly hosts that are just praising him and, and calling out. I was so excited and the shepherds are there and they're hearing what's going on. Heavenly hosts declaring him and just worshiping him and praising him. And here we find ourselves at the end. That was the beginning of his ministry. Now we find him at the end of his ministry and he is being praised and worshiped by the crowd for a day. See? Pastor Jay mentioned it. He mentioned, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. If, if we look at uh, John chapter 12, verse 13, John 12, 13, it says, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. So they were declaring him the King of Israel. Now, when we see this, and, and I think some of us might have had the misconception that Hosanna, and then we see blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's the definition for Hosanna, because we always see it together. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Those are two absolutely different things. Hosanna is one expression, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord actually was used for pilgrims that were coming in, and they would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was such an expression of welcome to the pilgrims, and it was used, this expression, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was used whenever the king went into the temple to worship God. They would say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord for the king. See, that's not the definition of Hosanna. Now, Hosanna in the Aramaic, let's see if I got that right. I have it somewhere here, right? In the Aramaic means help me, help me. Well, how do we know that this is correct? Because in Psalms chapter 118, verses 25 through 27, right, says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. Right? We pray, give us success. And then it says what in the next sentence? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. What does that mean? That means get the sacrificial lamb and tie him to the horns of the altar. See? So right here is telling us, save us, we pray. That's what Hosanna means. Now, when they were doing the translation from Aramaic to, Ju uh, to Judaism, it, it was difficult with that translation. And so what they, what they translated it to in Hebrew was a cry of joy or of salvation, but technically it means save now. Save now. So the people were saying, Hosanna, save us. Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
Everybody's getting that? Help us. Save now. Blessed is he, our king, who is coming into the temple. Because that's where he was headed. And that was the expression they used for the king. Okay? And so that, that expression is, it does, Hosanna does not mean blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All right? We just see it together in a sentence, but that doesn't mean that it is the, the definition. Right? Now here we have the people, Hosanna, we have the people saying, greeting him, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have the people calling him king of Israel. And we have the people in Matthew chapter 21 verse 9 saying, son of David. Now what would that mean to the Jewish people? From the house of the king David, which was their king He comes from David. He is our new king. And so all these things are happening. The religious people are getting it. They're on the side and they're getting it and they're upset. And they're livid. Because they don't want to declare him the Messiah. This is not the Messiah the way we appear him to be. And one day he will come as they want him to come. Revelations chapter 19. I cannot wait. In Revelations chapter 19, it tells us that Jesus will come again, seated on what color horse? I'm telling you, this crowd is on a white horse. And it says that he will come wearing his own robes. And this is my favorite part, the whole thing. Mm. On his thigh will be the words. King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He will one day come. You got to read that whole chapter because I don't have time to go into it right now. But in that whole chapter, you see that military Messiah that they wanted, but they were not ready to receive. And so he had to come, what? Riding on a donkey saying, I'm declaring peace, peace, peace. You're not ready for me to come and just rescue you from what's happening. See, now, Pastor Jay mentioned the Talmud. You mentioned the Talmud? Was it the Talmud? Okay. (laughs) He doesn't remember what he said. Quick, quick lesson. On this, because this is important. The Talmud, you've heard the word Talmud? I'm sure you've all heard the word Talmud. The Talmud means learning and instruction. Okay? Learning and instruction. And within the Talmud, you find discussions and commentaries from important rabbis of their day. And they, they make commentary about the Jewish history, the law, um, how to interpret the law, how to apply the law. This is what happens, right? Then you have what they call the oral Talmud. And according to the Orthodox Jews, the oral Talmud is the words that God gave to Moses and other people regarding uh, the, interpret- the, the scriptures, the meaning of the scriptures and their interpretation. That's important. These are all Jewish um, texts. Now, the Mishnah, the oral Torah became the Mishnah when it was then written down. And it became a written word. 
right? And that didn't happen till 200 AD, all right? Now, there's also another book called the Gemara. Now, the Gemara is additional commentaries that rabbis made about the scripture. I'm getting somewhere with this. I really am. Just stay with me. When you put the Mishnah and the Gemara together, they become what we know as the Talmud, right? All the commentaries. We have commentaries ourselves, don't we? Matthew Henry, Barton, Gulick. We have a whole bunch of commentaries that give us explanations on the scripture, right? But it's not Bible. There's only one holy word inspired by God. These are commentaries from rabbis based on their interpretation of scripture. You got that? All right. I made that as easy as I could. It's a lot more complicated. Now, the Talmud, right? The Talmud, which includes the history, the law, the customs, the culture. That's why for the Jewish people, their religion and their culture is intertwined. See, it's intertwined. And so... The Talmud is, is important to them. So there's two Talmuds that were, that were written. One was the Jerusalem Talmud, and one of them was the Babylonian Talmud. Mostly you will hear people talk from the Babylonian Talmud. How's that? And so I found these wonderful things in, in the Babylonian Talmud, the Sanhedrin 98. You'd have to go, Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin. I'm thinking in Spanish. And last week I was preaching in Spanish and thinking in English. The brain. San <laughs> San Sanhedrin, right? 98. And it says some wonderful things. Each paragraph is a different rabbi giving commentary on the word, right? And so this is one that I, that I enjoyed. Um, the son of David will come only in a, in a generation that is either altogether righteous or altogether wicked. In a generation that is altogether righteous, the people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. And it is written, for mine own sake, even for mine own sake, will I do it. Now, we know what this is referring to, that scripture passage where in, you know, in heaven they're asking who will go, who will go, and no one could go, and Jesus was the one that said, I will go. That's, that's this right here. So the next, the next thing, the next paragraph, it says, um, if they are worthy, I will hasten it. I will speed up whatever needs to be done to free my people and for them to inherit the land, right? If they are worthy, I will hasten it. And then it says, and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven while it is written, behold, the king comes unto thee, lowly and riding upon an ass. If they are meritorious, if they are worthy, they will he will come with the clouds. If not, lowly and riding upon an ass. And then I thought this comment was very interesting right underneath it. It said, King Shapur said to Samuel, you maintain that the Messiah will come upon an ass. 
I would rather send him a white horse of mine. So that was the mentality of the Jewish people was, we know that the scripture says he's going to come on a donkey, on a mule, on an ass, whatever your Bible says, right? But we'd rather see him come on a white horse. We'd rather see him come in war. We would rather see this military Messiah. So that's all they had in their mind. We want this military Messiah. Now, I know that there are um, Messianic Jews that do not put much thought into the Talmud. I think that is important as any other commentary to give us some enlightenment into what was going on during the, those, those days and those years from the Babylonian years and how they saw scripture and how they saw the Messiah coming. I think that's important information. It doesn't take the place of my scripture, but it's important information to know what the mindset was. Everybody's getting me? Okay. Thank you. Well, you're sharp. I'm telling you, you're sharp today. So, where was I? Help me. Help us was the Hosanna. This is what they expected. Now, the action of Jesus was also interesting because at this moment, Jesus was actually allowing them to parade him. Now, do you remember if you read the gospel, you see many, many scenes where, you know, he would heal someone and he'd say, don't, don't tell anybody. Just, just go to the temple and let them examine you. Don't, don't share this with anyone. Even his mother, when she wanted him to turn the water into wine, he said, my time hasn't come. But now Jesus is saying, my time has come. And so he allows them to bring attention to him. And I tell you, both sides, the Romans and the Jewish people, were taking notice of this parade. They were taking notice and they were not happy. Okay? Now, this is the final week of his life and his ministry. There was an expectancy that something was going to happen here. Something was going to give. There was too much going on. There was so much excitement. The people were roused up. You know, listen, next week, please don't watch Jesus Christ Superstar. That's not the real story. Go and watch. Jesus, go and watch. What is it? A.D., go and watch the Son of God. Get the real story from the Scripture. All right? Those actors need Jesus. And that story needs Jesus. Whatever the play is or whatever it is. Don't waste your time watching something that's a lie. Go to the Scripture. Go to watch something that really gives you Scripture. That's on the side. That's a PSA. All right? So, the perception of the Jewish people was that he's coming, he's going to take control, he's going to overthrow the Romans. They failed to see that the Messiah would suffer before he would reign. Now, what does Revelation chapter 13 tell us? It tells us that the lamb, the sacrificial lamb of God was already decided before the beginning of time, right? I think it was chapter 13, verse 9 or something like that. Right? But what do we see Jesus doing as he's going into this parade? Instead of driving the Romans out, he goes in the temple and what does he do? He overthrows the tables. 
he, he just went, woohoo, celebration too. <laughs> and the scripture shows us from a celebration, he goes into the temple, overturns the tables, overturns the tables of the money lenders, which we know from, from studying this, right, that the money lenders were robbing from the people. They would only allow people to use the money that was created within the temple. They were not allowed to use Roman coins. And so they would exchange the money in the temple and charge them for that. See? And then they would sell the animals that were needed for the sacrifices and they would gouge the people. So Jesus, when he walks in and he sees all these tables and all this money exchange and everything happening in the temple becomes just irate and he turns over all the, tel- all the tables and of course here are the Pharisees and the religious men of the day very upset about this they say we have to stop this we have to do something about this but why did Jesus do that on this same day of this, of this celebration because he understood that the problem was not the government but the problem was his people you know how we want to complain about Washington We want to complain about Washington. We want to complain about Harrisburg. We want to complain about every governmental office that's around. But who do you think that God is looking at as we are praying and complaining about all of these things? He looks at the church and says, if my people were doing what they were supposed to be doing, right, goes back to those comments in the Talmud, If they were doing what they were supposed to be doing, I would have hastened this along. But because they're not, and they're not acting righteous, and they're not being the example that the world needs, and they're not praying the way they should, they're really falling into and following the patterns of this world, then this is why they're in the mess that they are. It's a consequence to the church not being and doing what they're supposed to do. And so God looks at us, and we know it because in 2 Chronicles 7, verse 14, which is why I have my Bible here because I didn't write write that down and I want to make sure I don't miss a piece of it, right? I'm going to read it. And you know this verse, but let's put it in the context of what's happening on Palm Sunday, right? And it says, if my people who are called by my name, not somebody else, my people called by my name, called followers of Christ, right? will humble themselves and pray, humble themselves, pray, seek my face. And look at this. And turn from their wicked ways. So apparently, we're doing wicked things, even though we're calling ourselves Christians, even though we say we're followers of Christ, we're doing wicked things enough for God to point it out to us and say, listen, when you take care of all of these things, then, 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 I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin. And what's the third part of it? Healed their land. See? So as we continue to complain about what's going on all over the world, let us ask this very important question. What is the church doing and are we in our position? See? Now, you know, I read that part from the Talmud and it said, if they're worthy if they're acting righteous, if they're doing what they're supposed to do for the Jewish people. We know from reading Revelation, when Jesus comes on that horse, right, on that white horse, and all of us that are with him, behind him, 
I told you before, I don't care if I'm on a pony. I don't care what. I want to be part of that crowd that's coming behind him. I don't care. I don't care what row I'm in. I want to be there. Right? And so when he comes, it's after those chapters in Revelation that talk about the 144,000. The 144,000 are not people that are being saved. The 144,000 are evangelists that are going to be going out, speaking the word in that last round for us. Oh, no, you better. Listen, there's a song. There's a song that my father used to play all the time when he was happy. He was happy. And he would play the song all the time. And he would say, uh, uh, no te vista que no va. The oldies might know the song. It says, don't get dressed because you're not going. Make it your best effort to make it in the first round. Because going in the second is going to be a little more challenging and difficult. Those 144,000 are there for a specific reason. It's to reach the Jewish people that are still there, that need to connect with all the events that are happening for them to understand that the Messiah is coming. Not the first time, but this is the second time he's coming for you. And you need to see him for the Messiah, accept him, receive him, and be saved. All of that. That's the 144,000. Wow, we've, we've gone through all kinds of scripture today. I hope you stay with me. Because the scripture, this, the one thing about the scripture is that it connects. It's like pieces to a puzzle. And you hear the, the linking of every little piece of it. You hear it. The linking of it as you read the word. You're like, oh, that's what David prophesied in the Psalms. That's what David prophesied in Psalm 22. This is what we see in Zechariah. This is what we read in Isaiah. We're seeing it. We're seeing it in the, in the New Testament. All of these events are reflections of what was said in the Old Testament coming to pass. That's why you need to read the word. Because when you read the word, it says, yes, I'm on the right team. I'm following our Lord and our Savior. I recognize him for who he is, and I know who he is, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior, and I will follow him to the end. To the end, right? So, where was I? I'm almost, I'm almost done. So, when Jesus looks at a nation that is having spiritual and moral breakdowns, he looks at his people. If we lived the way that we should have. If we affect everything around us in all the areas of our culture, we should be affecting our culture, not our culture affecting us. You know, it's a sick culture. We have the truth. We have the word of God. We have God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have all of these wonderful things that God has provided for us so that we can make it in this race. We cannot, we cannot go by the way of the secular world. We cannot. This was another opportunity that Jesus was giving the people. He knew they were going to reject him. He knew they weren't going to accept his word. And he's giving them another chance to hear the message. You know, just this whole scene of, this is my temple. This is not what it was designed to do. This is not what it's supposed to be doing. It's supposed to be welcoming people, not rejecting them. 
not pushing them out. We are supposed to be welcoming people into God's house. Do we get that? Into his kingdom, welcoming him. And if they hear the wonderful things that we know about God and how we can apply it to their situation, they will want to hear more about Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? He said, listen, you don't have to do the work. All you have to do is lift me up. If you lift me up, I will draw men unto me. I. We can't compromise his word. We can't carve out his word and just accept some things from the word and not others. No. We have to accept his word completely from Genesis to Revelation. Here is the beginning of a lonely time for Jesus as he begins to see the crowds are separating from him. He begins to see his disciples are moving away from him. You know, the people, he's healed their sick, he's raised their dead, he fed their hungry, he forgave the sins, but for the most part, he felt alone. And the end of his ministry was coming. See? So we, as followers of Christ, we know the rest of the story. We know what's going to happen by the end of this week. We know that he is headed toward the cross. And as, you know, every time I see those movies, I cringe because I want to say, please don't hurt him. Please don't do this. We didn't have to go to these extremes. And, you know, and people complain about the passion of the Christ. And it's graphic. But I understand from commentaries that I've read that it was even more graphic than what we saw in the Passion of the Christ movie. And that makes me, I just couldn't see that part of it because I couldn't see how they treated my Lord and my Master in such a way when he had been nothing but love. See? And so seeing that and understanding that Christ, when he was praying in Gethsemane, when he was praying, oh, oh, this is an aside. This is an aside. Pastor Jay and I went this week to see um, Jesus at the Sight and Sound. This scene with Gethsemane. You know, it's expensive to go there, but it's worth it. The word comes alive. They always have a message in all their productions. And seeing that scene of Jesus praying in Gethsemane and his heart is pouring out and he's crying out for his disciples and they're all sleeping. And he goes back to them again and says, can't you be with me just an hour, another two hours? Can't you be with me? And he's by himself. He's being tormented with thoughts from the enemy. And he takes that stand and says, no, not my will, but your will, Lord. And just knowing that he knew what was coming. Like if I knew what was coming and I saw the punch coming at me, I would probably do one of these. Jesus didn't do that. He did this. You get that? The punch is coming, and he didn't do this. He did this. For you and for me. Because he would be willing to go to wherever he needed to go so that you and I today would have that opportunity to come back into agreement with the Father to come back to agreement with the Trinity. 
he would be willing to do it. And he did it all for us. At any point, when you think about every single trial that he went through, every beating that he went through, every whipping that he went through, how he was mistreated all the way up to the cross, at any point he could have said, I'm done, I've had it, I don't, I'm done with these people, they're not worthy. I shouldn't be dying on their behalf. I should just let them all die. At any point, he could have said that. But he chose to die because he knew that after the death was going to come what? Resurrection. Resurrection. So he knew, I just have to get through this. And once I get through this, we're on. Resurrection. Ascension, second uh, rapture, second coming. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, let us be ready for that. Be ready for that. If he was willing to do all of that and get to the end, what are you willing to do to get to the end? What are you willing to give up from your own, you know, just the, the wants and the desires that we have that are not in line with God and we know when they're not in line with God and we still say, I want to do this. Which is what the Jewish people did at that point. He's not coming as we want, then we're going to turn on him. And within hours or a day, they turned on him. And they were crying out for his crucifixion because he did not come to do what they wanted him to do. And at no point, I think somewhere in the Romans, in Romans it says, when does the clay tell the potter what he wants to do? At what point do we want to tell God what to do? So let us remember this whole week, all of these events. On Friday, Good Friday service, where we get to hear what happened on the cross, and then Sunday. Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is not here comes Peter Cottontail. No, it's not about Peter. Hopping around the bunny truck. No, no. It's Resurrection Sunday. Right? When our Lord said, oh, he said it's finished and now it's going to start. And so don't miss any part of that. If there's anyone here today that has not received Jesus Lord as your Lord and Savior, this is important. You have to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior in order to be a follower of Christ. You can't follow him if you're not, you're not part of him. And so I welcome you today to receive Jesus in your heart. To say, you know, this is not about a church. It's not about a religion. You and Jesus. Receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And be a part of what God is going to be doing in the days to come. Right? So does anyone need prayer? Just lift up a hand. We will pray with you. We will pray for God to just change your life and restore you. So if anybody needs prayer, we can do, we can do that. We will pray with you. Yes, we will. See, our joy is in being able to know that you are our brother and we're there with you. And you know what's the greatest thing? You don't even know there's a party going on in your name. The scripture tells us that every time we come to Christ, you know, there is a party going on in our name in heaven. They're celebrating that you're coming back into agreement with the Father. That's so wonderful. 
So, my brother, I'm going to ask you to come join me here. Right? And I'm going to ask our elders. Oh, Joey. I'm going to ask our elders. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. Welcome home. We're going to pray. Our elders are going to pray with him. Right? The rest of us, we're going to pray while they're praying with him. We're going to pray over here. You know, just asking God to let us, let us remember you, Lord, on, on this week. So let us bow our heads. Let us pray. You know, God still heals today. He's still our provider today. He's still our everything today. So as we pray, if you need healing, just say, Lord, I need healing in this area. I don't need to touch you for you to be healed because my hand isn't the one that's going to heal you. It's God. And we believe God for things like that. So if you need healing, we pray for that. If you need, you know, if you have a petition in your heart, you need God to answer. This is your moment to do that. Okay? Let us pray. And let us, let us pray for the Lie family. Let us pray for Lisa. Let us pray for uh, Ceci. Let us pray for Junior. Who's lost um, Billy, and most of us know Billy. Um, we, he, they lost Billy uh, this morning, yesterday. Yesterday? This morning. This morning. Okay, Billy passed away, and he's with the Lord. He was very much a father to them. And so they're here today. In their hearts, they're hurting because they, they miss him. They also know that he's with the Lord, and they're going to see him soon. See, that is, that is one of the wonderful things that we have as Christians, that we are not like those that, you know, have lost and say, you know, we, we're losing our minds and everything because we don't, you know, we've lost someone. Our hearts cry, but we know that we know that they are with the Lord and we will see them soon. We know that. Okay? So let's pray for all of these things. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you hear us and that you're so willing, oh Lord, to hear and see the pains of our heart, the cries, oh Lord, that we have. And Lord, you, you know the needs that we have, whether we need healing, whether there's a petition before you that we need answered. Lord, we pray that it be done in your will, in your perfect will for our lives. I pray for Lisa and I pray for Ceci and Junior, Lord. As, as they've lost Billy, Lord, that they can remember that he loved you and served you and is with you right at this moment. No pain, no suffering, just in glory with you. So, Lord, help them get through this difficult time in their lives. Help them get through it, Father. And I pray, oh, Lord, just blessings on Linda. And, you know, I just pray blessing on the family and Ernesto and the children and we thank you we just want to lift up thanks for what you've done in Layla's life Lord we are thankful this morning father we just pray that our hearts never forget that we never forget the things that you have done on our behalf that we never forget your sacrifice that we humbly come before you knowing Lord that it was a high price and yet you're not charging us for it you're just giving us love in return let us love you, Lord, the way that you love us. 
And so, Father, we pray that we might be instruments to share your gospel and instruments to share your word and share who you are. Let others know what we know of you. Father, let us share you with others. And we just pray, Lord, that all of these things come to pass according to your perfect will. We thank you and God's people said, amen, amen.